Our reading is Isaiah chapter 46, and we'll read from verse 1. Bell boweth down, Nebo stoopeth. Their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy loaden. They are a burden to the weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are borne by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb. And even to your old age, I am he, and even to whore hairs will I carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. To whom will ye liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like? They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance and hire a goldsmith and he maketh it a god, they fall down, yea, they worship. They bear him upon the shoulder, they carry him, and set him in his place, and he standeth. From his place shall he not remove, yea, one shall cry unto him, yet can he not answer, nor save him out of his trouble. Remember this, and show yourselves men, bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. Hearken unto me, ye stout-hearted, that are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry. And I will place salvation in Zion, for Israel my glory. Amen. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his word. The sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God in creation and providence. The sovereignty of God in time and eternity is unmistakably taught in the book of Isaiah. So evident indeed is it that one might wonder how anyone who reads Isaiah's prophecy with any degree of integrity and any honesty is not convinced completely that we all live under the sovereign rule of Almighty God. The Almighty God who acts 
with unhindered power and absolute holiness and authority to do all his will according to his own good pleasure. I say that the prophecy of Isaiah clearly speaks about the sovereignty of God. And I want to draw your attention in proof and evidence of that to just a few verses from the last few chapters that we have been studying together. In these most recent chapters, we learn of God's dominion over nature both upon earth and in the heavens. For example, we read in Isaiah chapter 44, so we are now in Isaiah chapter 46, but in Isaiah 44, we read this in verse 24. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. So here is the Lord God claiming for himself this complete dominion and sovereignty over the heavens and the earth as the creator of all things on earth and in the heavens. Furthermore, we learn in Isaiah chapter 43 that the Lord God is sovereign in dealing in power with Christ and with the nations and peoples throughout this world. In verse 5 of, of chapter 43, we read, Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, Give up. And to the south keep not back, bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. This is a testimony to God's sovereign dominion in this world. Again, we read about the Lord God directing kings and individuals as instruments and tools in his hand. In chapter 44, verse 28, that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. Cyrus didn't have free will in this matter. The Lord said of Cyrus, he shall perform all my pleasure. Even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built and to the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city and he shall let go my captives, not for price nor reward, saith the Lord of hosts. And one more example. We discover God's sovereignty in these chapters. In this chapter explicitly, chapter 46, when we consider his disposal of all things according to his own sovereign will and purpose. He says in verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, 
my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Now I have drawn these examples and there are, there are few examples from many that I could have selected. But simple honesty would seem to require us to acknowledge God's own words when he declares, I will do all my pleasure. Now, let me paraphrase that just so that we're not getting taken up by, I don't know, some obscure way of speaking. What the Lord is saying there is that I will do what I want to do. I will do what I want to do. I will do what pleases me. I will do all my pleasure. If men and women insist instead on man's innate right to dictate his own destiny, rather than to acknowledge God's freedom to do as he sees fit with what he's made. And if they are determined to give to fallen creatures the personal freedom to resist God's decrees, then they cannot say that they are one with Isaiah nor that they believe what God has said concerning themselves. Either God and God's will takes precedence and he does all that is his pleasure or man's will takes priority and God must accept what man chooses. It can't be both, nor is it a mixture. The Lord says, I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Yea, I have spoken it and will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Here is the sovereignty of God in the affairs of men and women and in all things concerning this world and all things that are created clearly stated in the prophecy of Isaiah. And we come to these scriptures, I trust with a degree of humility, to hear the word of God and to believe it and to trust it. I wonder if you've noticed the frequency in these chapters also with which Isaiah mentions and indeed mocks the idol gods of the nations surrounding and influencing Judah. He frequently exposes the folly of making, first making, then bowing down to a piece of gold or silver or wood or stone. However, we would be foolish to restrict the practice of idolatry to worshipping physical objects. Men and women can just as readily make false images of God in their head. 
men and women can just as easily make false images of God in their theology. Men and women can just as easily make false images of God in their imaginations of how they think their religion should be and what seems good to them. An imaginary God who must bend to the will of his creature is no better than Bel or Nebo or Baal or Ashtaroth or Dagon or any of the other man-made idols of the Old Testament days. It's just an idea. It's just an idea that filled the hearts of these heathens in days gone by and it's an idol God still in the thinking of men and women today, unregenerate men and women who create God in their own image by making him in the image that they think God should be. Idol gods literally bend to the will of man because they change their shape to suit our purpose. But Isaiah is telling us, God is telling us time after time, repeatedly, the Lord God will do all his pleasure. And here is a solemn warning from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, following, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. May the Lord be gracious to open our eyes to the one true God and grant us faith to trust in the Christ that Isaiah trusted in, the Christ that Isaiah wrote about, the Christ that does all his will according to his pleasure and may we have grace to acknowledge his being his wisdom his power his holiness his justice his goodness and truth and sovereignty over all things that is what it is to trust in the living god it is christ we are seeking in this prophecy before us today. It is Christ we are seeking. And here are three lovely pictures of the love and faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ that we find from this chapter 46 in Isaiah. The first one is this. Our Lord Jesus Christ is faithful to keep his people. And I want to just 
draw your attention. I did it yesterday in our little note and I want to draw your attention to uh, verses 3 and 4 of this chapter once again. And I'm not doing it because I think a lot of you are old people. Um, But I'll tell you this, we are all getting older every day. And listen to what the Lord says via Isaiah to his people. He says, Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb, and even to your old age I am he. And even to hoar hairs, that means white hairs. We talk about hoar frost, it just means a white frost that that covers the ground. Even to hoar hairs, white hairs, will I carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and deliver you. And that is a promise that the Lord God makes to his people. I'm going to mention once again so that you all know, so that you all know and there is no doubt when Lord, when the Lord speaks here in these prophetic passages to the house of Jacob and all the remnant of the house of Israel, he is speaking to his spiritual people. He is speaking to the elect. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to Christ's bride and the little flock of Jew and Gentile believers who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not speaking to the nation Israel as presently thought of in its national state in the Middle East, that nation that is embroiled in all the troubles in in Gaza. These promises that are spoken of in Isaiah, in the context of the gospel age, are spiritual promises to a spiritual people. Yes, we do have historical passages, like in those passages where we are studying in Judges at the moment, where the nation Israel and the people of Israel and the 12 tribes ask Gideon to be their king. Yes, that is speaking about the 12 tribes of Israel. But this is not, this is speaking about a spiritual people. It is speaking about the remnant people. And these are spiritual promises to a spiritual people. They are yours and they are mine. And I implore you to receive them as such. Don't be tricked. Don't be deceived into giving these promises to someone else. There are plenty of Christian organisations, religious groups, preachers and teachers today who want to take these promises and apply them to the nation Israel in some eschatological last times way of thinking about things that is not the case these are yours and these are mine this is the church so don't let them trick you don't let them deceive you these are not someone else's promises they're yours and they are mine and I want us to notice this too these people are owned and cared for by the Lord 
all the days of their lives. He says from the belly, which I guess is from conception, right up to your days of white hair. I will carry you. I will deliver you. I will bear you up. I will maintain and support and provide for you in all of your needs. Our spiritual blessings do not begin when we are converted. They do not start when we get saved. The love of God, his care and his mercy, the, the, the grace of the Lord is with his people all the days of our lives. David in the 23rd Psalm, he says, surely, surely, that means assuredly, that means certainly, that means you can depend upon it, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And here the Lord tells his little ones, you and me, his church, his people, that spiritual people, he tells us that from before they were born, from the belly, they are under the protection, care and watchful eye of the Lord. This was true expressly, particularly of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was true when he was the infant Jesus. It was true when he was protected and, and taken care of. Uh, and delivered out of the hands of, of Herod. It was true when he was a boy growing up in, in Nazareth and, and labouring and working. It was true all through those 30 years before Christ's ministry proper began. And it was true for him during his ministry. And in him it is true for us all. Because the same promises, the same blessings that were given to Christ are given to Christ's people. I've got, I've got a little Christmas present for you. A little Christmas present for you all. Here's what I would like you to do. Tomorrow morning, on Christmas morning, I would like you all to read Psalm 91. Take it tomorrow morning as my gift to you all. And remember, Psalm 91, and remember, God's promises to his son are his promises to you as well. So what is it that the Lord says here in this prophecy to Isaiah? He says, I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and I will deliver you. The Lord Jesus Christ made all things, but believers are his new creation. We are made anew as vessels unto honour. And having begun a good work in us, our Lord Jesus Christ will finish what he has begun. And he will present us to his Father as trophies of his grace. He bears you in his heart with a divine love. The deepest love you ever have known in this life is a pale reflection of the love that Christ has for you who believe. He bears us on his breast, owning us, 
owning us as his own before devils, before angels, and before men. He says, these are my people. These are my Judah. These are my Israel. These are the people that I love. He says, touch not mine anointed. He says, touch not the apple of my eye. He hides us under the shadow of his wings. He carries us through the trials of this life. For while we are loved and protected, yet we are never free from attack and trouble from within and without in this flesh. From our own hearts and from the forces of this world, we will be attacked. And yet even in those attacks, they will be for our blessing. The remnant people in Isaiah's day were besieged in their cities. Their cities were overthrown. They were transported, exiled to Babylon. They lost their homes. They lost their family. The nation went into exile. They endured and experienced much hardship and many tears. And so too, we shall know trouble in this life. We shall know trouble in this life. But two things are true. Firstly, anything that God allows to trouble us serves his purpose for our good. And second, even in our darkest times, the Lord will carry us through. We are secure in the palm of his hand and nothing can touch us beyond the limits of what he deems good for our soul. Think of yourself as a lamb on his shoulders. Think of yourself as a lamb on the shoulders of your good shepherd. He's got you. You are not going to fall. One principal blessing of being saved is that you are safe. Safe in Jesus' arms. He will deliver you safe and rejoicing into his Father's presence. The Apostle Paul says, we are already seated together in heavenly places in him, in Christ Jesus. And soon we will enter bodily and consciously to where we are already hid positionally. Think of yourself as a lamb on the Lord Jesus Christ's shoulders. Or think of yourself as a parcel and the Lord Jesus Christ is a very careful delivery man. Even when it says fragile on the box and a lot of us are fragile you can be sure that he will deliver you safely to your mansion in his father's house. So that's our first thought that the Lord Jesus Christ is 
faithful to keep his people. Here's our next thought, and it won't be as long as the first one. He is faithful to fulfill. He is faithful to fulfill all his promises according to his good pleasure. The Lord admonishes Isaiah and Isaiah admonishes the people to whom he writes, the remnant people of Israel, to remember all that he has done for you. The Jews had their Egypt and their Red Sea and their 40 years in the wilderness. And you and I have our lives experiences as well. We have our Egypts and we have our Red Sea experiences. And maybe we even have our 40 years in the wilderness. But it is the spiritual promises of mercy and grace and truth. Or the gospel promises, if we like to call it like that. It is these promises that we should remember most of all. Yes, remember your Egypt. And yes, remember the, the, the deliverance that the Lord has given you from the Red Sea. But let us spiritualize these things and let us think of his mercy. And let us think of his grace and his truth and his peace. These are what we should remember most. These are the old things, the eternal things of covenant promise that shall never go awry and shall never go undone. He says in Isaiah 46 verse 9, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. This is the covenant of grace. This is the covenant of peace. These are the promises of God to his people, given first to Christ and in him, yea and amen to us. These are our inheritances. These are our gifts from the Lord. And he is faithful to deliver all that he has promised to us. Our God, our God has promised so much to you and to me as an adopted child. And these are his promises to us. But they are yours and they are mine because they were first made to Christ, the dearly beloved Son. And it pleased God. I will do all my pleasure, says the Lord. It pleases God to look upon the obedience of his son and declare himself well pleased. It pleases God to honour his son, to lift him up, to elevate him. It pleases the Lord to array his son in glory and seat him at his right hand. It pleases the Lord to give his son all the glory of all the world, that he should be worshipped by angels, feared by devils, 
praised by the redeemed men and women and bowed down to by all the creatures of this world. And all of God's promises to his son and those that are granted to him because of the successful fulfilment of the covenant duties, particularly upon the cross, are yea and amen to us also. We are heirs together with him, joint heirs of all his glory. And maybe you think to yourself, the Father could never give me all those things. If I'm lucky, I'll just manage to slip in at the back when most of the good mansions have already been allocated. Well, you might think that, but not a bit of it. No one in heaven will be more honoured than you will be. No one will be more blessed than you will be. No one will be more blessed than another. We have everything in Christ because we have all that the Father gives to his Son. Nothing will be withheld. All this nonsense about different crowns and different degrees of of glory in heaven is just that, nonsense. Nothing will be withheld. Everything it pleases the Father to do for his ever-loved, ever-blessed Son, it pleases the Father to do for you and for me who trust in him. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I will deliver you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And where is Christ? He says to his disciples, where I am, there ye may be also. Where is Christ? He is sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And that is precisely where you will be soon as well. We will be seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, glorified with the glory that is our bridegrooms. And that brings us to our final point. There's no doubt about all of these things because our Lord Jesus Christ is faithful to save The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. This is a faithful, this is true, believe it. Believe it. It's worthy of being accepted because it's true and it's faithful. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom, says the Apostle, I am chief. And the Lord... God says to Isaiah regarding that great gospel day, that great coming of the Lord Jesus in in verse 13 of our chapter today. I bring near my righteousness. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the Lord our righteousness. He says, I bring near my righteousness and it shall not be far off. 
and my salvation shall not tarry. The Lord would soon be in the world. We read in in Luke's Gospel chapter 2 about the announcement by the angels of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world at the incarnation. This is what Isaiah is being told about here. I bring near my righteousness, it shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. He will place salvation in his church. Brothers and sisters, our salvation is certain and sure. In the gospel, in the gospel, righteousness is near at hand. It is not far off. God's plan of salvation did not tarry but was brought near to men and women in the incarnation of his Son. Christ's coming was the good news for which Isaiah and the remnant church waited for generations. And they and us are brought into Zion, Christ's church and kingdom, to experience and to enjoy the salvation that Christ won for us. God has placed salvation in his church for his own glory and for the everlasting benefit and happiness of God's spiritual Israel. And once again in this chapter, the gospel age is foreseen by Isaiah with righteousness for sinners and the justification of God's elect anticipated in the coming of Jesus Christ. The things that Isaiah's age looked forward to have come to pass. Christ the Redeemer is come among men. The Lord's counsel stands. God has sovereignly and freely given salvation to his people. He has planted it in Zion. He has made us righteous and fit for glory in his presence. Why? Because it was according to his own good pleasure. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us today. Amen.